My name is JT Wistersill, and I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the From the Stands podcast on today's show, recapping week nine of the NFL and an NBA mock draft just for the lottery portion. So 14 teams been going to be going through them saying what I think they should and will do in those 14 selections. But as always, we started back with the Thursday night game of week nine of the NFL season, and we have the Packers pounding the 49ers 34-17. We knew the 49ers were going to be in some trouble coming into this game considering they had 14 players on the IR that it accounts for 55 million in salary caps. So you knew they were going to be in a long fi- long night and that's exactly what happened. Aaron and Adam Adams had another unbelievable game with Rodgers going for 305 passing yards and four touchdowns and Adams going for 173 yards and one touchdown. Another plus for the Packers was seeing Preston Smith really get involved in this game. He came up and hit Nick Mullins and forced a big interception for them. He's been kind of quiet compared to his other Smith brother, Zadarius. So I thought it was really big that he stepped up for them in that situation. Also, the 49ers had three points with five minutes remaining in the game. So they really struggled. And then they finally were able to score and get some stuff going late and get to that 17. But just goes to show you that the 49ers, is just too many injuries. The division is too good. It's just not their year. They'll have to retool and be ready to go for next year. Moving on, we have the Vikings vanquishing the Lions, 34-20. to Dalvin Cook was sensational once again. He had 252 total yards and two touchdowns, really paving the way that offensive line opened up some running lanes, and he is just the best back in the league right now. Kirk Cousins also had a pretty good efficient game, throwing for 220 yards and three touchdowns, and the Vikings defense also got to work, picking off Stafford and Chase Daniels three total times, two of those by the linebackers, Eric Kendricks and Eric Wilson in the red zone, so big plays for them. And this Vikings defense, which was the biggest weakness of the team by far earlier in the year, I think it's really started to retool and rebound and play a lot better and look more like the team we thought they could be. The Vikings are trending in the right direction. I believe hitting their stride at the right time as a three and five football team. They have a massive game against Chicago this upcoming Monday night. So we'll see how that shakes out and it'll be interesting to see what happens there if the Bears are going to pull ahead and take that spot or the Vikings are going to pull ahead. But it'll be interesting to watch and the, the Lions once again just another disappointing year and it'll be interesting to see how long Matthew Stafford continues to be a Lion. But moving on, we have the Bills beating the Seahawks 44-34. to With only 34 rushing yards, the Bills won this game. You might be thinking, well, how'd they win with only that? Because Josh Allen in the passing game absolutely shredded this crappy Seahawks secondary apart. He had 415 passing yards and four total touchdowns. And he's just got, they go five deep at receiver led by Stephon Diggs. They have two really good tight ends. And Brian Dayball calls a great game plan. And I said, the Seattle defense is just bad. So they really needed some help in that back end by just some Bills mistakes. And the Bills capitalized on the Seahawks mistakes instead and made a lot of big time plays. The Bills defense also forced four turnovers, which was the biggest difference in this game. It's hard to hold Russell Wilson and that Seahawks offense in check. So forcing those four turnovers was really big for them. And it'll just be interesting to see what happens with Seattle now because the defense isn't getting any better in the back end. I think the pass rush can continue to improve. Carlos Dunlap looked good in his Seahawks debut, and it was great to see Jamal Adams running around back out there. The Seahawks also really missed Chris Carson or even Carlos Hyde, I'd say. Those guys gave them a good spark in the running game, and DJ Dallas was not getting it done. Next up, 
We have the Falcons soaring to a win versus the Broncos, 34-27. to Matt Ryan was really efficient in this game, throwing for three touchdowns and 284 yards. Led them on a lot of drives and, un- and unlocked a, uncorked a couple of nice bombs out there. Omade Zacchaeus had 103 receiving yards with one of those touchdowns being a 50-plus yarder, which was nice to see. The explosive element to that offense without Calvin Ridley. Hayden Hurst continues to have a great year. That was a great trade for them. They only gave up a second-round pick to get Hurst from the Ravens, and he's looking like the first-round pick he originally was in Baltimore. Also, Julio Jones continues to get things done. So they had, they had a good game in the passing game, and you got to give all the credit to Derek Cutter, the offensive coordinator for this team, has done a really good job calling plays and adjusting. And, of course, Raheem Morris. These guys just look like they're playing more inspired football under him, which is a big part of their success so far this season. The Falcons' D also was really good in this game. They only allowed six points through three minutes, with three minutes remaining in the third quarter. That Broncos offense only had six points, so they did a good job giving Locke some trouble that game, pressuring him and stuff like that, and doing a good job in coverage. So credit to the Falcons' D also continuing to get better. The lone bright spot for the Broncos was Jerry Judy, who had a career-high 125 receiving yards and a touchdown. So good to see him break out because he is a phenomenal young player. Moving on, we have the Titans D dominating the Bears in the 24-17 win. The Bears were down 24-3 with five minutes left in the fourth quarter. It was an ugly defensive battle on both sides, but the Titans were able to put some drives together and go go score throughout the game versus the Bears were only able to do it really late when it was almost in that garbage time territory. Desmond King in his first game as a Titan returned a big time fumble that resulted in a Titans touchdown that was really big and helping swing the momentum of this game. And this Bears offense is just not good. It's one of the worst in the league, and they just really struggle in all phases. The only elite part about it is Allen Robinson, who he is spectacular. But the leading in receiving yards for this game was A.J. Brown, who had 101 receiving yards on four catches. The dude is just an explosive. He's a freaky player, and if it wasn't for D.K. Metcalf, he would have been by far the freakiest player in his draft. He wasn't even the freakiest player on his own team because Metcalf and him played together at Ole Miss. So that's just crazy. They also have a big game this week. The Titans do, though. We talked about the Bears' big game. The Titans go to play Indianapolis. That'll be a big game. If the with the Titans struggling a little bit, Indiana Indianapolis coming off a strong performance versus the Ravens, but coming up just short. See how that'll end up playing out. Could be key to which one of those two teams is going to win that division in the AFC South. And Speaking of those Colts, let's talk about their games with the Ravens rebounding versus the Colts 24 to 10. This was another defensive battle. These are two of the five best defenses in the NFL. And it looked to be in the Colts' favor early. The Colts had a really good first drive, and they got out to a 7-0 lead. But unfortunately, after they forced a Ravens 3-and-out, their next offensive possession, Jonathan Taylor fumbled, and it was returned for a touchdown with a horrible tackle attempt by Phillip Rivers. I may add in there as well. That was really disappointing to see the effort. He, well, you know, he, I guess he tried. He tried, but oh man, it looked really bad. So Baltimore also, they fumbled to begin the second half. So it looked like once again, like, oh, the Colts got another chance to capitalize on an opportunity. They were up 10-7 at this point, the Colts were. But then the rate, but then Rivers throws a pick. And it was a very questionable pick with Marcus Peters getting, they said he got two feet down, show control, and then had the ball knocked out. So it was a really close call and it was a bad break. And that ended up sparking a 17-0 run for this Ravens team. So I thought Lamar laid some nice plays late, but the real star 
of this game was Darius Leonard for that Colts defense. He had 15 tackles and did a phenomenal job spying Lamar Jackson. He's one of the best linebackers in the league and continues to show up and show out week in and week out. So very impressed by both these teams' defenses. And it'll be say I would be totally down to get another playoff matchup like this, just seeing these two physical defenses go at each other like they did. Also, the Ravens did lose Calais Campbell, so hopefully that is not a long-term loss for them because they definitely need him. And Unique Ngakwe continues to look good for Baltimore as well. But moving on to our next game, we have the Giants beating the Washington football team. And the biggest difference was, so Kyle Allen gets hurt early in the game, so they bring in Alex Smith. And Alex is a phenomenal story. Love whenever he's able to take the field, but he wasn't very good on Sunday. He threw three interceptions, and it just kind of spiraled out of control for them. If you needed any indication that this was an NFC least battle, look no further than the start. The Giants started out losing it on downs, going on forward on fourth and not converting. And the Washington football team actually fumbled on their first position, so it was rough. But those turnovers were by far the biggest difference in this game. And the Giants even only had three second half points, but they were able to get to that. Tw- they were able to get to twenty points because of that. The job their defense did creating some of those turnovers and giving them a little bit of a spark. And for Washington, their defense is still f- really good. The Landon Collins loss they had a few weeks ago still really hurts, but that front seven is just absolutely nasty. And on the offensive end, Terry McLaurin continues to shine with one hundred and fifteen receiving yards and a touchdown. Really impressed by what that young man continues to do in the passing game. Shifting to our next game, we have the Texans winning a close one against the Jaguars, twenty seven. 25. Of course, the only reason they win any game is Deshaun Watson, who had two touchdowns, 281 yards, and also led his team in rushing. He is just a phenomenal player and continues to make the most out of a not great situation. Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks both had decent days as well, but this team really struggles to run the ball right now. And of course, we know their defense struggles, which is why Jake Lutton, the Oregon State quarterback from just a year ago, had 304 yards, a touchdown, and an interception against this Texans defense. They could have even won the game with Lutton leading them down the field and scoring he scored it was 25 it was they scored 25 points all right let's go for two try to win the game but Lutton threw a really bad pass that resulted in them losing the game by two points so disappointing there but even more disappointing I I guess Texans fans are used to it at this point but there's the defense just to give up that many yards to a player like Jake Lutton who was playing his first NFL start I thought was a really bad look for a bad defense who continues to just look not very complete out there DJ Chark had a really good game with seven receptions for 146 receiving yards he opened the game early with a bang with a 70 plus yard touchdown and also shadow to J.J. Watt, who reached 100 career sacks in this game. is one of the younger players to ever do it, and Watt, as we know, has just had a phenomenal career. There's a really cool video on YouTube. If you got some time, I'd recommend checking it out of people congratulating Watt on his 100 career sack accomplishment. The best one by far is Drew Brees' message to him, so if you got some time, check that out. But Moving on to our next game, we have the Chargers finding another way to lose against the Raiders, 31-26. to Herbert was unbelievable again. He had 326 yards, two touchdowns, just continues to be phenomenal. And one of the biggest surprises of the NFL season to me is how early he has looked, he has, how good he has looked so early in his NFL career. So let's kind of set the stage of what happened late. The Chargers are down two, and they're getting the ball back with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. So you think they're in a good position, but... Their returner muffs the punt for the Chargers. So the Raiders get it. They're able to do what they always do. They run the ball, control the clock. They kill four minutes, and they're able to kick a field goal to go up 31-26. to So things don't look good with a little over four minutes left in this game. Can Justin Herbert lead him down the field? Well, of course he could. On a 15-play drive, he led him all the way down to the field. But with only a second left in the game, they decide to throw a 50-50 ball up. And unfortunately, it looked like a nice catch, but Isaiah Johnson of the Raiders actually ended up knocking it out of 
I believe it's Plarum Jr. was the name of the Charger who was catching the 50-50 ball. I don't know how Mike Williams isn't the one they throw the 50-50 ball to with his combination of he's he just literally caught a 50-50 ball a few plays before to get him in that position. He's such an explosive athlete with an incredible vertical leap. So I have no idea why it wasn't him. But anyway, so Isaiah Johnson of the Raiders makes a great play and breaks that pass up. And the Chargers lose again another game they should have won. But give the Raiders credit. Continue to find ways to win. I continue to be really impressed by that Raiders young secondary and this team overall. Carr was a not a great day for Carr, but he continued. He played pretty efficiently and unlocked a few deep balls to get some touchdowns. So it's just another it's just another mind-blowing way the Chargers continue to find way, ways to lose. And speaking of just strange games, how about the Steelers? They actually end up stealing a road win. And you may be thinking, well, how'd the Steelers steal a road win? Well, it's because the Cowboys were actually the better team on the field in their 24-19 loss. The Steelers' first points came with a minute left in the first half. So that just kind of shows you. And then C.D. Lamb fumbles and they're able to kick a field goal and get back into the game. But after halftime, they finally woke up a little bit. Ben got shaken up a little bit in the first half, but still had a really strong day overall with 306 passing yards and he had three touchdowns. And he needed to carry this team because they only had 46 rushing yards. So that was really disappointing for them. Juju had a really good day with 90, 93 receiving yards and Eric Ebron had an, a phenomenal touchdown to end the game to help them go ahead when he hurtled over a cow voice defender shows you that insane athleticism he has and the reason he was a top 10 pick coming out of North Carolina like that the Steelers defense kind of had an up and down or mostly struggled in the first half but second half was much much better the pass rush began to get home finally with Dupree Watt and Hayward all making plays on that final drive and you do got to give a shout out to Garrett Gilbert he actually played a really good game despite no one knowing who he was he did come out there and ball and I was impressed by his play but moving on to our next game we have the Dolphins beating the Cardinals in an absolute thriller 34 to 31 my biggest takeaway by far this game was oh my gosh the quarterback play of these two First, we'll start with Tua, who was so much better than he was against the Rams. He had 248 yards, two touchdowns, and 35 rushing yards. Most of those rushing yards end up coming late in the game and helped set his team up for that go-ahead field goal. So, also, But Tua was not the best quarterback on the field. That distinction belongs to Kyler Murray, clearly, who had 283 receiving yards, four touchdowns, and 106 rushing yards to lead his team. So it's just phenomenal. We got to watch these two quarterbacks go to work. And Kyler, just what he does with his legs, no one can tackle him in the open space, unloads a pretty deep ball. Christian Kirk had a a really good game with 123 receiving yards. And Kyler just continues to amaze and impress. And that team isn't really able to run the ball. So he really has to do almost everything for them. The biggest play early in this game was the Dolphins when Emmanuel Ogba strip-sacked Kyler Murray. And it was picked up by Shaq Lawson and returned for a touchdown. So I thought that kind of set the stage early that, okay, one defense is going to be a little bit better than the other throughout the day. Although the Cardinals defense did make some decent plays throughout the game. Despite they're still, they could still use a little bit more of a pass rush boost, I think. Just missing Chan- losing Chandler Jones for them was such a bad loss because he is such a phenomenal player. But shift to the end of this game. Kyler Murray has this one of his only bad throws of the day, throws it low on a little out route that would have given them the first down, and then the Dolphins get it and they kick a field goal. Well, Kyler atones for his mistake and drives him down the field into field goal range. And on a 50-yarder, the Cardinals kicker, Zane Gonzalez, missed it by a yard. A yard. It was that close to being in and we would have gotten more of this incredible game and gone to overtime but it was just short and the Cardinals come up just short in this game versus the Finns so give the Dolphins their respect offense is starting to look good they are going to miss Preston Williams who will be out for a few weeks but give them credit either way for continuing to fight and just become a really strong team 
And moving on to our next game, we have the Saints obliterating the Buccaneers 38-3. Wow, no one saw this coming. The Buccaneers were out physical from the start. Dennis Allen did a phenomenal job of drawing up some pressures and just get and helping his guys get the pressure. I thought Cameron Jordan played a really good game. Sheldon Rankins is really good. And Marcus Davenport. Rankins and Davenport in particular continue to get healthy. And they got some depth along that defensive guy, defensive line. Guys like Troy Hendricks have or top five in the league in sacks, and he's not really even a starter for them, so give him credit there. They also covered really well. Marshawn Lattimore in his last three matchups versus Mike Evans has held him to zero yards when guarding him, so Lattimore has not had a great year, but he really showed out against Mike Evans. Also, Malcolm Jenkins, I thought, was all over the field, so they did a really good job. They forced Tampa Bay into the fewest rushing attempts in a game ever with only five, so a crazy number right there. Also, when shifting to that Saints offense, they also abused the Sean Payton just absolutely outcoached Todd Bowles. Brees had 222 yards, and he was really efficient, throwing for four touchdowns and hitting 12 different receivers overall throughout the game. So good job by him spreading it out. Having Michael Thomas back really helped. So the Buccaneers, I'm a little concerned, but at the end, they I think they just got outcoached out physical and outplayed. I don't love if they had to play again in the playoffs, I might actually pick the Saints because of how that def- because of how dominant they were in the trenches versus this Buccaneers team. But be interesting to see. I still think Tampa could be all right. They just need more time to jail, especially with a new addition of their receiver, Antonio Brown. And now finally shifting to the Monday night game, we have the Patriots squeezing out a 30 to 27 win versus the Jets. How good was Joe Flacco in this game? Especially early, not as good late, but he had three touchdowns, 262 yards on the day. And one of the biggest reasons I I thought he had success was the receiver trio of Jameson Crowder, Denzel Mims, and Brashad Perriman. That's a really good group right there when healthy. The problem is those guys have not been healthy all year, so Sam Darnold has had a lot of crappy receivers to play with, but Mims especially is coming on really strong. He was a second-round pick out of Baylor, and he looks like an absolute physical freak out there, and Perriman has always made, he's kind of bounced around the league from Tampa Bay to Baltimore, but he's always made plays wherever he's been, so I thought that was the biggest reason is those guys just beat up on those that Patriots secondary on some one-on-one opportunities and that's what allowed them to get to 27 points the Patriots they did have a rough start they were down 20 to 10 but they did respond in the second half and they went on a 20 to 7 run to win the game Cam was really I thought Cam played a pretty good game he had 274 yards and two rushing touchdowns and he really found his guy in Jacoby Myers's game with no Edelman and Akil Harry someone needed to step up and it was Myers who had 169 receiving yards and the Jets it's it's if you look at it this way Cam drives him down late Helps them win the game. The Jets are not able to cap it off. They're not able to come back and win. And the Patriots get a huge win. They stay alive, continue to fight for the postseason. And the Jets, you're still in firm position for the number one overall pick, which I think is only a good thing if you're a Jets fan. Now, shifting to my big takeaway of the week, and it is the 2020 QB class is a historic group. Let's rewind a little bit. Everyone is always looking for, when it comes to the quarterback class, we always remember back to Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, that big three quarterback class. We've been waiting to see if there could be another group like that, a group that has potential with the three Hall of Famers like that. And if we're looking back, 2017, Watson, Mahomes, yep, yep, Trubisky, nope. 2018 QB class. A lot of QBs drafted in that first round. Five, actually. But I think you got two franchise quarterbacks there. Josh Allen, who it's way too, it's still... I think he's a franchise quarterback. I do think Lamar is. Baker and Sam, we still got to wait on. And Josh Rosen is obviously a massive bust. So, And then in 2019, despite Drew Locke playing better, I still think there's only one true franchise QB in that draft in 
Kyler Murray. Locke's been fun. He's fine. You got to give him more time to see if he can impress. But I just think right now the jury's still out on whether or not he can be a great player or not, which is why I'm willing to wait and see if he is able to make something happen. So now let's look at this year's current quarterback class. The last guy we were waiting on was really Tua, because we're not seeing Jordan Love this year, we know, which he still has all the potential in the world, so maybe he could become something one day. And I would be interested to see what an offense really centered and tailor-made for Jalen Hurts could do. But let's talk about those three QBs drafted in the top six. First, the last one we've seen, and the one who absolutely balled out yesterday was Tua, who went, who's now 2-0 and as a starter. He had 240 yards and two touchdowns, as I mentioned. And what's so impressive about Tua, the fifth overall pick coming out of Alabama, is his poise in the pocket and understanding the offense for a rookie. I thought he did a really good job evading pressure when it came in. He scrambled a few times to get some nice gains on some yardage plays. And he was extremely accurate throughout the day. He does a phenomenal job of buying time, and I'm just really excited to see what he can do. I thought he had a really good repertoire with his receivers, and I think he's just been really impressive early in those, especially yesterday. Like I said, the Rams game wasn't his best, but I was really impressed by him in this game, and I think his future is really bright, and the future is obviously bright in Miami. Then you go to the number six overall pick out of the Chargers. Coming out of Oregon is Justin Herbert. He's 10th in the NFL in passing yards, despite only seven starts, which is the least of anyone in that top 10 group. And he is just so, he's tough. He runs out there. He's able to, he, he's willing to run for some first downs. He's willing to hang in the pocket. He's got a cannon for an arm, honestly. He's un, he's really unlocked an explosive element to that passing offense, hitting guys like Mike Williams for some big big plays throughout the game. And him and Keenan Allen have already had a nice repertoire going as well. He's a very accurate quarterback and just his, like I said, that ability to make those big time throws. And he does step up in big time moments. It's not easy to lead your team down in a drive like that with 15, with under four minutes left in the game. That 15-play drive was really impressive out of Herbert, and I think he's only going to continue to impress throughout his career. And finally, of course, we have the first overall pick in the draft, which is Joe Burrow. Who did he play this last week? No, but in his last game, he had the big upset win over the Titans, and he's eighth in passing yards. And, you know, last year he was at LSU, played behind, I believe, the award-winning best offensive line in the country in LSU. This year, not so much. That Bengals O-line ain't good, but he he hangs in there, hangs tough, and delivers some balls up and lets his playmakers go out there and make plays. And the Bengals have done a good job of giving him talented receivers and some running backs who can't help him out and make those plays. So, Burrow you can also tell his leadership and his mentality. He really wants to win, and he is a tough-nosed player. So I think he's only going to continue to have success. And I really think this quarterback class, especially those three guys, are going to be special. And we're going to look back on them like we look back on the Eli Ben and Rivers class. You may think it's a little early, but I'd rather be a little early on this train than late because I think these three guys are going to be superstars. Alrighty, that's going to do it for this week's NFL talk, but now it's time to shift over to the NBA draft. The 2020 draft is finally here. Is it five months later than we thought? Yes, but it's finally happening. It's been almost a year since we've seen even a James Wiseman who only played three games in college, and it's just amazing how long it's taken for us to get to this point because of the COVID-19 pandemic and everything, but we're finally here, and it's an exciting time for these teams in the top 14. So like I said, we're going to do a lottery mock draft, go one through 14 teams. I'm going to tell you who I think they'll take and also a little bit of probably who I would take as well. So it's a little bit of both kind of meshed together. But first overall, we got the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think this team desperately needs some wing players to complement Cat and D'Angelo Russell. And they could use a third score with Malik Beasley's future up in the air. For them, I really like Anthony Edwards, the 6'5 shooting guard out of Georgia. I believe he's a true three-level scoring threat who's explosive and athletic and has nice build and body to eventually become an elite defender. I also think he has a nice dog mentality. I really 
really believe he wants to be great. Just by what I've watched, I am. Some people have concerns about his effort and things like that, but it's just a gut feeling for me. I think he's going to be great because I think he wants to be great. I think he's willing to even accept guarding some of the other team's best player at times. I just think he's going to be a really good player at the next level. And I do believe the trio of Edwards, Cat, and D'Lo could be special given some time in Minnesota. Now, moving on to the second overall pick, that would be the Warriors. The Warriors definitely need a center, and they could also use some wing players. Still haven't found that Iguodala replacement for their small ball lineup. They kind of got the Harrison Barnes ones and Andrew Wiggins. You know, they're kind of the same player. Both guys with lots of talent, but will always end up disappointing you. Wiggins is just super overpaid. But in the end, I think the Warriors desperately want to trade down. And I should say, I definitely think the Timberwolves do too. But the Warriors especially would love to trade this for an established player. But if they stay, I think they go James Wiseman. I do. The 7-1 center with a 7-5 wingspan. This guy's also an athletic freak. He's a massive lob threat. And he's also got some shooting touch. And he's shown some ability as a ball handler to be able to get by guys one-on-one. He does settle for mid-range jumpers a little too much. And his feel for the game's a little lacking. But when you're playing with the staff, like when you have guys like Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and of course Steve Kerr and that coaching staff developing and working on you like that, I think this could be a really good home run pick for Golden State if they take Wiseman. And I think it might be good to get a guy with a little more size in there to try to groom as a guy who could stop Anthony Davis maybe in his second year because I think Anthony Davis is going to be a problem for teams in the West for a long time to come. Now, moving on to our next team, we have the Charlotte Hornets. They're another team in desperate need of a center. And they could also really use an explosive two-guard. Terry Rozier does not match the timeline of this team, so I would look for someone to pair next to Devontae Graham. And, you know, most people may think LaMelo Ball, like LaMelo Ball is a top three player in this draft, and I would agree. He's definitely a top three player in the draft, but I just don't think the Hornets take him. I don't think Michael Jordan, I think they have concerns about them the maturity there, I really think they pass on him. And instead, I think they go with Oneke Okongwu, the 6'9 mobile rim protector out of USC. He has a nice post-up game, able to score with some jump hooks as well, and he's also a nice lob threat. Defensively, he, like I did say, he's the best rim protector in this draft, and he can switch on guys in some space. Now, he's strictly a five. He's not going to do things like the Wiseman can off the dribble. He's a little bit more of a throwback five, but that ability to be mobile in defense, and some people have said he has BAM out of bio potential, which really excites me obviously, because Bam is an incredible player. And moving on, number four, they're in desperate need of a small forward and a true passing playmaker. I like Colby White as a point guard, but I think he needs his, if he's more like a Jamal Murray and he needs his Jokic, because I don't know how much he's going to pass the ball and make the other guys better, which is why I think some combination of Levine and White has to go in order to make room for this selection for the Bulls, LaMelo Ball, the 6'7", the best passer by far in this draft, who's had a weird career bouncing around since his Chino Hills day, trying to find places to go. He has a really high IQ, and he has really good basketball instincts and a feel for the game that I like. So Lomelo is going to come in and transform an offense, which is why I like him in Chicago, because I think he can get guys like Laurie Markkinen, Levine, even a Wendell Carter, the ball more, and help develop those guys a little bit better and show off their talents as scorers. My concerns with Lomelo, I don't think he's a very good leader. I question the drive and the maturity for sure, the shot selection, and just in general, his shooting concerns. And also there are massive defensive concerns. One of the knocks I've even heard about LaMelo is like, he's just not like, if things go south, he's not going to help turn it around. Well, all these teams in the top three and minus obviously not Golden State, but teams like the Timberwolves, Hornets, Bulls, even the Cavs at five, like these are not good cultured teams. So I would like him to be a little bit more of a leader if things go south like that. So that's a knock I just have on LaMelo. I'm personally not a huge LaMelo ball fan. I'm really not, but I think he would be really good if he ended up in Chicago. 
At number five, we have the Cleveland Cavaliers. They could really use a modern NBA small four, small ball four, considering they touted out lineups sometimes last year with Kevin Love, Andre Drummond, and Larry Nance. Wow. They could also use a more athletic five because as much as I like Nance, I think he's best suited in a backup role. So at number five, I have Cleveland going with Obi Toppin, the 6'9", bouncy forward out of Dayton. I really like Toppin. A lot of people don't love him because he's not very good on defense and he struggles with his lateral mobility, but I think he can be really good. He has a nice scoring game. He can shoot. He can go in the pick and roll or the pick and the pop. He can also play some small ball center for you as well. He can exploit some mismatches in the post with a nice jump hook as well. And I really think he's a threat, massive threat in transition with that bounce. I think he's going to walk in the NBA and is going to be a 15 plus point per game score. So I really like Toppin's game and think it fits well next to Sexton and Garland in Cleveland. At number six, we have the Atlanta Hawks, another team that should desperately want to trade, particularly for Drew Holiday. I think this team should go after. They really could use a complete two guard and a ball handler, another ball handler to alleviate some of the load that Trey Young has to carry. So for them, I think they should go with Tyrese Halliburton, the 6'5 guard out of Iowa State. Everyone really brags on his leadership, IQ, and his defense. He brings a nice, he's just, he's a culture changer, I think. And he's also a pretty good passer as well. He's not the greatest to just give him the ball one-on-one, he'll get you an ISO bucket, but he does the little things. And I think he would really pair well next to Trey Young. So if they stay, I think they go Halliburton. At number seven, the Pistons, I think it's the worst roster in the league because I think they're going to trade Griffin and Rose as they should. When you're talking about the future of this team, it's just dark, especially if Christian Wood leaves in free agency. So what do they do? I think they should trade for Denny, not trade, draft Denny Avdia, the 6'9 Israel Ford, who is one of the better passers in the draft as well, up there with Halliburton and Ball. He is very creative and crafty with the ball in his hands. He passes like a point guard and he plays very hard on defense and he brings a kind of toughness and swagger that I like as well to him. I really like Avdi. I think in the right role if he's used in a Jokic almost role as the primary ball handler you could post him up or run stuff with him passing the guys I think he could make some really nice passes and I really like him his shooting is not great but it continues to improve and I think he can knock down some open threes at number eight, we have the New York Knicks, and I think they need really need a point guard, a shooting guard. They could use a forward as well, so a guard or a forward. I'm not a Kevin Knox guy, and just Dennis Smith Jr. has just been a disappointment throughout his NBA career. So for the Knicks, I like Killian Hayes, 6'5 point guard out of France. He is a playmaker. He's also a, a left-handed player, interestingly enough, and he has a really nice three-point step back as well that I think could translate to the league. He needs a little bit more work on the offensive end, especially using that right hand. He's not very good at finishing with his right yet right yet but that playmaking and shot be able to create a shot like that is what impresses me so much especially from the three he also has nice defensive upsides which is why I think Tom Thibodeau would like to have him on the New York Knicks at number nine we have the Washington Wizards and they desperately need a small forward kind of a role player to pair with their lineup and a backup point guard to relieve some of the pressure off John Wall and Bradley Beal I think this team's looking for a win now player and because of that I think they go with Isaac Okoru the 6'6 small forward with a 6'9 wingspan out of Auburn his best trade is by far defense he has all defense potential he is the best ISO defender in the draft I think and he can come in the NBA and shut some guys down a little bit similar last year to a DeAndre Hunter although his offensive game last compared to Hunter, who Hunter is not the most offensive, has doesn't have the best offensive game either, such as shows you where Okoro is at in this process. His shooting definitely needs work. He is a threat to score in transition, but you're drafting him for his defense, like I said, and I really think he can come in and shut some wings down in the NBA. He can be this year's Matisse Thibel, for example, or DeAndre Hunter last year as well, as I mentioned, but Moving on to the 10th team, we have the Phoenix Suns, and they could really use a point guard and just some shooting at the five position. And I think they really want, I, I sh- 
they really want to get a guard who can just play off ball and compliments Booker well. Because I think Booker can be a really good point guard. So I think they should take Devin Vassell. He's a developmental 3 and D guy, a 6'5 guard. And I think he that's the biggest thing you want. He's a little bit like a coral. You just want him to be able to lock down the other team's opposing guy and just continue to help him get better on offense. I think he can hit some threes as well. And that's why I really like that 3 and D potential. So continue to grow the offensive game. And you're drafting him especially for the defense so that Devin Booker Take some of that, ease the load off him as well. At number 11, we have the San Antonio Spurs. They really could use a star small forward and a little bit more of an athletic boost at center, which is why I have them going with Patrick Williams, the small forward who's 6'8 out of Florida State. Williams has a 7 feet wingspan and in limited action coming off the bench at Florida State, shows a lot of potential and upside. His defense looks really good and even threw some really nice passers. Also showed some potential as a shooter. So he's got to land in the right system to develop him, and I think this is the perfect place for him would be in San Antonio, where he continue to grow, learn, and get better from one of the best developmental coaching staffs in the entire league. So I've been really impressed by Williams, just his fun, his raw potential, and I think he has a really bright future in this league. At number 12, we have the Sacramento Kings. They could really use another shooting guard with Buddy Heald looking like he's out the door and Bogdanovich's future up in the air. They could also use a little more of an athletic big, depending on what they think about Marvin Bagley or just another power forward to pair next to Bagley. I think they should go with Tyrese Maxey, the 6'6 guard out of Kentucky, who plays really intense and physical on-ball defense. I also love the pairing here in terms of the energy and speed of backcourt of Maxey and Fox would create because Maxey really gets after on the defensive end and flies around in transition. He's also a strong finisher at the rim. So I think he could use a little bit more tooling on the offensive end, but draft him for his defense because Fox is still a star. I think people forget how good De'Aaron Fox is. At number 13, we have the Pelicans. They could really use a scoring guard or just some more shooting at the five, I think. Or shooting at the four. I'll say they need another another power four because Zion's best position is the five. So I think they go RJ Hampton. He's a quick, explosive guard who played in high school in Texas and then went overseas to Australia. He can create for himself and is continuing to work on his spot-up shooting. He's another guy. He needs some more time to evolve and needs some work. But I really like his upside, and I think he has the tools to be a really good NBA player and could continue to get better on defense. And the last pick of the lottery, we have the Boston Celtics. I think they they go with a big Alexia Polchewski. This forward, he's seven feet out of Serbia. He moves like a wing and passes like a guard. The problem, the problem, the body needs to be development. He has a very thin, lengthy frame that they really could use to work on. So personally, I really like Polachewski as a late pick to the Celtics. They could continue to roll with De um, Robert Williams and Daniel Thice for the time being and let Polachewski develop and then roll him out there. And I think he could really unlock a special lineup if he hits his full potential next to Tatum and Brown. So that's going to do it for this lottery mock draft. I don't know about you guys, but I am fired up for the draft and it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds, especially with the NBA coming back December 22nd, a very exciting time where you get some trades and free agency very soon as well. So good time to be an NBA fan. And now that we're just through week nine, we're getting into some more intense playoff action with the NFL. They could even add two playoff spots in the NFL. So exciting times in the world of pro sports. So thank you guys as always for joining me on this edition of From the Stands. And I look forward to speaking with you guys next week. Signing off.